Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Good morning. Good morning. You know, when Pastor Jim said, man, that's a real tough chapter to do, I told him, I was like, yeah, for those who don't really read the Bible, it's tough, so... No, but good morning. My name is Dylan Del Campo, and like Pastor Jim was saying, uh, I'm from the Riverside campus. We've been doing some awesome things over there, but you guys are my spiritual family as well. Yeah, let me move more center. Lencho's giving me the... Uh, but you guys are my spiritual family as well. We're one body, right? One church, New Beginnings Community Church, and of course, we're part of the bigger body that is Christ Church overall, right? So I'm excited just to be here. I'm excited to be teaching. I'm excited to be preaching. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 38. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis 38 or on your Bible app, iPad, whatever it may be. And I like to say this every once in a while. And since I'm never preaching here, I'm going to say it today is I don't know anybody who goes to the gym uh, once a week for one hour and expects results. Does anybody know somebody like that? Anybody? I'm glad that we don't know anybody like this. So the same thing and kind of this same idea I'm going to use. uh, We cannot be Christians who go to the gym for one hour once a week and expect results, right? And if we go to that gym and and do nothing, right, like the person who's working out, I'm just going to show up, go there for an hour, and hopefully glean everything, right, to the gym. I'm going to watch people work out, and I'm going to feel like I'm getting stronger. Nobody does that, right? So especially when we're here on Sundays for church, for services, it's like when we do go to the gym, we should be invested and we should have our word and we should be ready. Like, you know, I'm going to put time in here. I'm going to write notes. I'm going to study this out. I'm going to be here. And in that way, we will grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so as a church, we have to understand this. And as a church also, we shouldn't, only be, we shouldn't be investing in the word or coming to Christ or praying or anything only for once a week, Right. We should be in our word daily. We should be seeking the Lord daily. We should be seeking fellowship daily. And so let's not be Christians anymore who go once a week and watch everybody hoping to glean all their muscles, right? Doesn't really make sense. So let's be invested. Let's be in it. And uh, we'll be better off for it, right? Okay. So in the story of Judah and Joseph, today we're going to be talking about kind of the contrast of who they are, okay? Judah is Joseph's brother. And we're going to look at their lives in sort of a wisdom sort of uh, perspective that we can glean from and grow from and know essentially when we look at Judah, we can know what not to do, okay? He's this kind of person. We're going to look at the contrast between them, but also we're going to look a little bit about how the will and power and sovereignty of God works, okay? Because what we need to understand, and here's what I'm going to posit today to us, and we'll talk about it and break it down and understand it more, but I believe the power, sovereignty of God to be kind of like a hand right here. It's not my hand. I'm not saying I have that. But as an example, it's kind of like a hand, and we're in here. And whether we humbly submit to the will of God, to the power and authority of God, and we'll be in the the hand and the sovereignty and power of God, or we're in it and kicking and screaming and wanting to do whatever we want, we're still all running around in the power, sovereignty, and authority of God. 
And to think that we can be outside of his power or outside of his authority is nowhere in Scripture, okay? It's nowhere in Scripture. And so we're going to break down what that looks like and then also some practical applications between the life of Joseph and the life of Judah. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, hopefully it will by the end. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 38, and we're going to start on verse 12. And I read out of the English Standard Version. I know uh, Pastor Jim's more of an NASB sort of speaker, and I told him, you know, only real Christians use ESV, so I'm sorry, I apologize uh, for those, I'm just playing, but we're going to read Genesis chapter 38, verse 12 through 14, and it says this, in the course of time, the wife of Judah, she was daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shears, he and his friends, Hurrah, the Adulamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear a sheep, she took off her widow's garment and covered herself with the veil, wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance to Anayim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up and she had not been given to him in marriage. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, I pray that uh, today would be your word spoken, God. My word is void. Dylan's word is void, God. But your word does not return void, God. It accomplishes what it sets out to accomplish, God. So I pray that as Christians in this room, we would be aware of your power and aware of your presence and aware of the spirit of God. That we wouldn't cut off your presence, God, but that we'd welcome it in, Lord. That we'd be here together. The, the gathering of saints here, Lord. That we'd be here together ready to seek your word and ready to hear from you, God. So I pray these things in your name, and we all said, amen. amen. So I have a couple of nieces, and I'm sure Pastor Jim has talked about them, and I've talked about them to my fellow crew over here. Um, but I have two nieces, one by the name of Willa and one by the name of Scotty. They're two little white, white babies. I absolutely love them so much. They're so beautiful. Like, I can't wait for Fourth of July. They were going to watch fireworks and just sit there all in amazement. But anyways, I love them so much, and one specific time I was watching them. They're my sister's kids. And so I was watching them, and I, it was my job to make sure they ate dinner, right? Because it'd be bad if they didn't eat dinner. And so Vanessa, she was awesome. She, like, cooked up some meat. All I had to do was warm it up, some ground beef, cook up some quesadillas, throw the meat in there, cut it up, and they're good to go, right? And so as I'm doing this, Scotty's crying the whole time. She's the younger one because she's hungry. She's hungry. She's crying. She's losing her mind. And it's the worst thing ever. And Willa is the older one. And you never know what you're going to get with her, okay? She's more of a, like, do you hate uh, Uncle Dylan today or do you love Uncle Dylan today? Well, like, you tell me. And she hated Uncle Dylan <laughs> this night. <laughs> and so specifically, I was cooking it up and I said, all right, Willa, it's time for dinner. And she's just like watching, I think, like Little Mermaid. And she's just like, Willa, it's time for dinner. I'm literally right here. Willa, it's time for dinner. I'm like getting closer to her. Just like this close. Willa, it's time for dinner. I'm like, all right, you're going to play this game, huh? And then so I pick her up. She's like, no, 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 no. And I sit her on her chair. She's like a big girl chair now. And I sit her on the chair, and she's just like, I don't want to eat, I don't want to, I want to watch my show or movie, whatever it was. And it's just like, you're going to eat because it'd be worse off if she didn't eat, right? 
And what's hilarious about this is she's kicking, she's screaming, she's losing her mind. She does not want to eat. She's just at that phase. And then you look over at Scotty, who's in her little high chair, and she's just like having the best time ever. It's like two like quesadilla in each hand, just like, mmm, mmm, this is great. You know, anybody else like that when you sit down to eat? You're just like, ooh, yeah, this is amazing. <laughs> this is the best day of my life every moment and it's hilarious because I, I believe because the thing is they're going to eat whether they like it or not okay because they have to they're grown little babies I'd be terrible if I didn't right so they're going to eat no matter what and it's funny to look at them where one is just kicking and screaming and losing her mind and does not want to eat and the other one is so joyfully just like ooh. Uh, yeah, and I, I would say that this kind of depicts God's will to us, and then specifically in our story, this kind of gives us a picture of Joseph and a picture of Judah. Because on one hand, you have Joseph, he's in prison. He's uh, lied about, he's falsely accused, he's forgotten by the chief baker, right, or cupbearer, and he's forgotten by these people. And then on, and he still submits and follows the Lord. And when it's time to interpret, he's like, interpretations belong to God. He's like, I can't sin against the Lord. He's focused on God, his desires for God. And then on the other hand, you have Judah, who's not portrayed very well in Scripture, who's just kicking and screaming and doesn't want to be a part of God's will. And he's not walking in the ways of the Lord. And he's in freedom. He's with his brothers. He's with his people. And it's funny to look at the contrast. One humbly submitted to the Lord. One does not want to submit. One does not want to follow the Lord. And in the context of the sovereignty and power of God, as we will see in the story of Joseph and Judah, is that either way, my nieces needed to eat, right? In the story in Judah and Joseph, either way, God's will is still going to be done. And that's what we need to understand about the will and the power of God. And maybe you don't realize it right now, but maybe this is your first time in church in a while, or you've been, you know, I'm going to kind of do whatever I want. I'm going to live in a way that I want. I'm still doing what I want. And you think that you're outside of the power and will of God, and you're only fooling yourself. You're only fooling yourself to think that you, ha you have enough power to be outside of the power and sovereignty of God? It's not how it works. It's not how it works. So I want to take that idea, and I want to pick up uh, in chapter 38 again. And before we do that, remember, Joseph is seen as this guy who's, who's humbled and who's serving the Lord. And yes, he's upset at times, but he's always just dependent on God. Judah, in Scripture, it depicts him as kind of the ringleader who sells Joseph off. They say, like, let's, let's kill him, and then it's like, well, we shouldn't kill him. I think Benjamin comes in, well, we shouldn't kill, or not him, I can't remember, sorry. They say, uh, we shouldn't kill him, let's just throw him in this pit, and, and we'll be fine. And then Judah's like, all right, sure, whatever, but over time, they see some traitors coming by, and Judah's like, actually... I know what we're doing to our brother and betraying him is already evil, but at least we should prosper, make some money off of it. Let's sell him to these people. You know, he's the ringleader. And then also in, in verse 1 of chapter 38, we're not going to go there, but it says that he leaves the land and goes and finds a Canaanite wife for his son. Here's the thing about that. God said, do not intermarry with other cultures. Okay? Now, 
hear me out on this. That's not God being all about ethnicity or race or anything because God welcomes in actually, even in the Old Testament, all cultures as long as they submit to him. What he's essentially saying is that do not intermarry with those who are not submitted to me. That's what he's saying in this, for this command. And so Judah, again, I'm going to not listen to God. I'm going to go over here and get what I want. He's just an awful guy who does not live in the will of God, so much so that it says his son, his first son, who he finds the wife for, dies because he's so evil. That's what it says. And so Judah, it's his duty as the father-in-law to give Tamar, who's the Canaanite wife, another son, okay? It's his duty in that culture, okay? My son died. Uh, she doesn't have, they didn't have any kids. Okay, I need to give her another son. So he gives Tamar another son, this Canaanite wife. And what happens in this is that he does not fulfill what God has called him to do either, to carry forth the line of Judah. God has called him forth because that's ultimately where the blessing of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, is going to come from. And so this son doesn't fulfill that duty either. So God gets rid of him. He dies. Has anybody ever seen those like murder mystery shows where... It's like, yeah, this wife, or this wife has like six husbands who just like all mysteriously disappeared. <laughs> Anybody, right? Yeah, we all, or vice versa. Either way, it's like, we could all see it. Why can't the detective see this, okay? You need to hire me in for one day, I'll solve it right now. And so Judah, two of his sons died, and he's like, bruh. Tamar's a widow maker, okay? <laughs> Something's going on here, right? And it's still his duty. He's not in the right here. I don't want to portray it like he's in the right in doing this. He's not. But I'm sure that's what's going on through his head. And so what he does is he t tells Tamar, when my son Shalah grows up, I'll give him to you, and then he could be your husband, and you guys could have kids, and we'll carry forth the line that God has told us that will ultimately bring salvation to many people and blessing to many people, right? And he tells her this, and it's a lie keeps Shalah. He doesn't give Shalah to Tamar. He deceives her and he lies. And so now this is where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 38 verse 12. And it says this, in the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. And when Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shears, he and his friends Hurrah the Adulamite. What's important to know about the sheep shears He's not just grabbing some scissors and like, oh, I'm going to cut some sheep up, get some wool really quick. That's not what's happening. It's part of what's happening, sure. But the sheep shears uh, actually through a festival that throughout Scripture has been looked at. Uh, bad things always happen after these sheep shearing festivals because there's lots of drunkenness. There's lots of just pursuing your own passions and desires and lusts. And so, of course, where does Judah want to go? To the sheep shearing festival. Of course. Verse 13 it says, and when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garment and covered herself with a veil, which denotes prostitution, as we'll see. And it says, wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance to Anaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up and she had not been given to him in marriage. And so, how many know, sometimes in Scripture, Old Testament, it's like, what is going on, bro? There's some weird stuff about to go down, right? We're about to get in some weird stuff right now, okay? 
And what we have to take into consideration is the culture and time that they're living in, okay? It's his duty. So uh, Tamar is desperate. And because she's a widow in that culture, she's looked at as worthless, meaningless. Nobody wants anything to do with you, right? That's how they're looked at in that culture. And so Judah, by being deceptive and not giving uh, his son, which is his duty and which is the right thing to do even in their culture, He's disobeying everything and making it look like she's even more worthless because, like, man, the person who's supposed to give her the son doesn't even do that? Okay. So she's desperate, and we have to take these into consideration as we read these scriptures, as we go through them, okay? So in verse 15, she's upset. It's like, you're supposed to give me shalah. What's going on? In verse 15, it says, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute. Remember the veil. That's what denotes that. For she had covered her face. Verse 16 says, he turned to her at the roadside and said, here we go. Come, let me come into you. He wants to have sex with her. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. Does the dude just have terrible memory? Oh man, a veil is going to make it like, so I don't know anybody. <laughs> What we can assume here, again, like the sheep shearing festival, is that Judah was probably having a good time. Probably having too good of a time. So he's just kind of out of his mind, doesn't really know what's going on. He's just like pursuing his own passions, pursuing his own desires. And if you notice, again, he left with his friend, the Adulamite. Doesn't say the Israelite, which denotes the people of God. And so in verse 1 of 38, it says that he leaves to go find a Canaanite wife. And again here, he leaves to go to the sheep shearing festival. He's leaving the people of God, the promise of God, what God has ordained, what he wants them to do. And so what we could see from Judah's life when his desire isn't on God, he leaves and he's a person who likes to separate. Does this make sense? He's somebody who likes to separate because how many of us know when I'm doing wrong, when I'm not living right, when I want to do what I want to do and nobody knows what's going on, how many of, how many of us run from people, right? We don't want accountability, right? Dang, you all want accountability all the time? <laughs> Y'all need to counsel me. But how many of us know we like to keep some secrets, right? We like to keep some things. Well, I'm not going to tell them about this. I'm going to separate a little bit, just enough so I can still do what I want, but still be like this, this Christian, right? And so this is what Judah is doing here in this moment. And what we can take in our context today in this principle in Old Testament scripture is that we cannot be Christians who separate all the time and who try to live life away from the body of believers, from the church, okay? I don't know what happened. I don't have a uh, um, study on it, but I'll, I'm sure I could find one. But something happened in like the 19th, 20th century, uh, the rise of postmodernism and the rise of deconstruction and the rise of secularism. All of these things have to go into this. But it's, it kind of found its way into the church where you, you hear a lot, of, a lot of this statement here, and it sounds right, but it's not. It's not. But you hear this idea that it's like, I don't need to go to church because I am the church. It's like, what? Are you, what? 
I've said it too, okay? Like, I'm not, like, dropping the hammer. I'm dropping the hammer on myself too. So I don't need to go to church, you know, Christian people, you know, I'm just trying not to be like Christian people and be like that. And it's, it's like, what are you talking Help make this make sense to me, please. Because guess what? For 1,900 years, even 2,000 years, that statement from the start of the church was never talked about. Never said. Ever. And so as Christians, if you think you could be a Christ follower, I'm not denying that the power and presence of the Spirit is not with you if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. But what I am saying is that when we look at Scripture and Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he gives this message and it says it pierces them to the heart and they repent and believe in Jesus Christ is Lord. What do we see next? Do we see a bunch of them saying like, now that I'm saved, I I don't need to go to church. I don't need to gather because I am the church. Does it say that? Or does it say they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer? And to the teaching of the apostles. So if you're a Christian in here, I'm talking to Christians right now. If you're a Christian in here and you think, oh, I'm just going to go to church. Like if Saturday's not busy or something, you know, I'm going to. If you're not making church a priority in your life, and I'm not even trying to say to try to get more numbers. I need numbers. I need people to come to church. I just need you to go to a Christian church and be a part of a body. Because scripturally, that's what they did in response to receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we take a look at what they, how they responded and looked at our life, would it line up? And that's the question of the day, because Judah wanted to leave the people of God. However, scripture says, man, I need accountability. I need people in my life. I need fellowship. I need the breaking of bread. I need people to pray for me. I'm not going to run from accountability. I'm going to run to it. Because you you know who doesn't like to be held accountable? My two-year-old niece. Okay? And I'll close this portion with this. St. Augustine, who's a great theologian of the ancient church, he said this, you cannot have God as your father unless you have the church as your mother. And he's not equating them like, oh, they're the same, I, you know, like I'm not talking about, oh, the Pope, you know, that's not what I'm talking about here. But however, if we look at scripture again, Jesus calls the church his body, his body. He calls them the bridegroom. And so this guy, Augustine, what he's saying essentially is that if you are a Christian, then you are a part of the gathering of saints, You are a part of the people of God, so stop believing that you can do it on your own. Don't be Joseph, or excuse me, Judah. It's like, oh, I'm going to just go do whatever I want, you know? I know God has blessed my family, but I'm just going to go do whatever I want. Instead, run to accountability. Jesus says he corrects those whom he loves. Run to that. Believe in that. Okay? And then continuing on. In verse 16. 16b it says she said what will you give me that you may come into me she's thinking you owe me i need something because you're you haven't given me the son or the husband so you owe me in verse 17 says this he answered i will send you a young goat from the flock and she said if you give me a pledge until you send it essentially she's saying you don't have the young goat so i don't see it what can you give me as like collateral, essentially. 
Verse 18, he said, what pledge shall I give to you? She replied, your signet, your cord, and your staff that is in your hand, all of which depict Judah's power, his authority, his wealth, and his importance. This is everything. So he gave them to her and went into her. And she conceived by him. The Bible's weird. <laughs> and I love that, right? It's cultural things that we have to wrestle with. Uh, again, I'm going to read it. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. I'm going to share kind of like a more of a candid thing that everybody has thought, even if you haven't talked about it yet, okay, in some way, shape, or form, most likely. But how many of you guys know that desire, especially strong desire, can cause you to do some funny things, right? And within, like, in the context of marriage, okay, I'm talking to married couples right now. You know where I'm going with this, probably. But for husbands... For men, if there's talk of sex sometime in the future, it probably causes us to do some funny things, right? Like this. Oh, your wife gets home, you're just washing the dishes, just big old smile on your face, like, yeah, I just love washing dishes. All the clothes are hung up, like, you, all the clothes are cleaned, you're like scrubbing the floors because of hope, right? It's like, no, no, I'm doing everything right, like, we got it, we're good. Because desire causes you to do some funny things, right? And the same way, vice versa, for, for ladies, maybe you're looking to get some action too. Your, your husband gets home, you're like, <laughs> your husband gets home, you're just like, oh, babe, I respect you so much. <laughs> like, oh, so much respect I have for you. I care, oh my gosh, it's dinner, everything's made, you know, it's like, you're the hardest working man that I know. Right? Or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you're done with the kids. <laughs> you're absolutely done. So husband gets home, you start saying all that same thing like, oh my, you're amazing. I respect you so much. Dinner's made. By the way, you're watching the kids. All right, later, you know? Essentially what I'm saying is when we have desire for something, even unmarried, whatever it is in your life that you have desire for, it causes you to act a little funny, Right? Right? Double hands, I like that, yeah. <laughs> Judah gives away his cord, his signet, and his ring. That's a modern-day equivalent to saying, here's all my credit cards, here's all my debit cards, here's my bank statements, here's my cars. As a matter of fact, you can now make business decisions in my name. Because this is what we need to understand disordered desire when desire rules our life we sometimes are willing to risk it all we sometimes are willing to say i will give up all my power all my authority everything that's mine you could now speak in my name i'll give it all away for just uh, moments of pleasure for just moments of desire for something that we're seeking for something that we long for that we think we need so badly that we'd give it all up We'd give it all up. And here's the thing that I want us to understand, and here's where the contrast comes in with Judah and Joseph, is Judah is free. He's not in prison, right? He, he made sure Joseph was in prison. Judah is free, 
but he's a slave to his sin. He's free, but he's a slave to his sin. Joseph is in prison, falsely accused, and yet, using Paul's language, he's a bondservant to the Lord. Because here's the thing. Joseph has an ordered desire, I would call it. Where Judah's desires for whatever's in front of him. Joseph has a desire that's set on God, that's set on communion with him, that's set on prayer to him. And this is depicted by when Potiphar's wife tries to tempt him. He says, how can I sin against God? How can I do that? When the chief cupbearer and the baker said, can you interpret dreams? He says, well, interpretations belong to God. It's not me. In Joseph's eyes, his desire and eye is on the Lord, and in, for Judah's life, his eye and his desire is on the lusts within his heart, on his own desires. Jesus says in Matthew 5 and 18, I believe, that if your eye causes you to sin, to cut it out, throw it away, for it's better, and this is a little harsh, but it's better that you only have one and not find yourself in hell. That's Jesus' words. It's not mine. And so Judah's desire is leading him to hell. And my friends, what we have to understand is that as Christians, we have to make sure our desires are ordered correctly. I've been saying this a lot to my squad because I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. But he essentially says there's first things and there's second things. First things is communion with God, prayer, reading the word, fellowship with the saints, accountability, not separating. Those are first things. Second things is everything else, you know? Because look at when life flows through the first things, then you're walking on the pathway that the Lord has set before you. But this is the problem that we do. We take the second things and we make them the first things. And we make them the first things. How many of us read the story of Joseph through the lens of, God's going to give me everything I want if I serve God? That's not even what the Bible is saying through the story of Joseph. It's depicting that God has sovereignty over all and power over all. And so even some of us live a life of, well, okay, I'm going to serve God just so I could get that second thing. Just so I could, well, if I line up with the ways of the Lord, then he's going to give me a house. It's like, you're serving the second thing until communion with God is the first thing, nothing will ever be enough. Nothing will ever be enough. And so in our life, when we look at Joseph and we look at Judah, we cannot disorder our desires because then we look through the lens of our desire, not through the lens of God. And we don't want to be that way. We don't want to be that way because then guess what? We become as bankrupt as the rest of the world out there. As the rest of the world. And continuing on into verse 24, I'm going to skip a few verses, uh, getting into 24. It says this, about three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she's pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. Anybody else like that? Don't lie. <laughs> Somebody cuts you off, you're not like that? Come on. 
I'll raise my hand twice, like this man, right? Yeah, let's go. That's me. Bring her out and let her be burned. Verse 25 says, As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, here's the kicker, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, Please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Oof. Whoo! She... Judah just got pied in the face, essentially. It's like, man, gut punch right there. Judah looks like a fool. Uh, verse 26, it says, Then Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give to her my son Shalah, and he did not know her again. In this Set this little couple verses, it gives us a very, very clear picture on Judah's character and his relationship with God. Because look, Judah is already where he's not supposed to be, right? He left his family to go do whatever he wants. He's following his own desires. He sold Joseph. He wants to prosper off of evil, wicked acts. Um, he's what he thought was a prostitute, that's just totally normal to him. He's totally cool with that. And so when he, it's like telling, obviously his relationship with, the God, with God was probably just non-existent. Probably non-existent. And so in this moment, what Judah did not even realize is that in condemning Tamar, he's condemning himself. Burn her. He's saying, burn me. Get rid of her. She's immoral. He's saying, I'm immoral. Get rid of me. And what we need to understand about this is, as Christians, if we are not in communion with God continuously, if we are not in our word continuously, if we are not being held accountable by anybody, who do we think we are holding everybody else accountable? Who? Who do we think that we are? And I'm not saying like, hey, don't ever call out sin or don't ever call out where things are going wrong. However, when we read, when we read Scripture and this is being done, this is being done by like apostles who are in communion with God, who are praying to the Lord, who are in fellowship, who are leading the church. These are people who are essentially following the Lord who also have accountability. And in that regard, then you have the authority to hold people accounta accountable. But as the church, if nobody is over you, is, if nobody is helping you or, or calling out your sin, or you're not being open about your sin to people, being held accountable, you don't really have much say in other people's lives. I'm just being honest. If you find something in Scripture that tells, tells you otherwise, like, all right, let's talk to me about it. But I don't think it's there. As a matter of fact, it's not there. And so what we can see is that Judah, living a life away from the Lord, even though he's a person of God, in condemning her, condemns himself. Jesus also, also says in Matthew 6, I believe, yeah, 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 that if you do not forgive, then your heavenly Father will not forgive you. 
that has strong implications for our life. Because I think sometimes as Christians, we could get so self-righteous that we're just hurling stones at everybody. Hurling stones just like left and right, right? It's like a snowball fight. But with condemnation, we're just having a great time. And we're just leaving like a wake of people behind us all like broken and just like, what's happening here? We need to forgive others if, the he- if he- God the Father, uh, for God to the Father to forgive us. This is something that I can't get around, you know? I can't get around that scripturally. And here's what I want to say. If there's some sort of like abuse sexually or emotionally or something, I'm not saying, hey, you need to go and be best friends with them and forgive them. And that's not what I'm saying at all. But you need to forgive in your heart for the sake of your own sanity, for the sake of the hurt. And I would be willing to say that most of the people in our life, not all, most of the people in our life that we're upset with or that we can't stand anymore, it probably started from a disagreement that turned into like a screaming and cussing match, and now I just can never talk to them again. I'm done with them. Like Will at the dinner table, I don't want to eat. If our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ says forgive if you want to be forgiven, what is our response? Can we get around that? No. As much as, hey, there's people, as much as I want to, I can't because it's not what's right. And it's not what's true. It's not what Jesus said. And so when Tamar gives her trump card, right, she's like, look at, who do these belong to? Can you identify this cord, this signet, and this staff? To whom these belong? That's who is immoral with me. What's what we have to understand about this scripturally is that we're seeing kind of cycles being repeated. And there's repetitive themes over and over within scripture, over and over of deception, of lying, of stealing, of sin. Uh, how, many of those, how many of us know that when you read through the Old Testament, they're kind of terrible? <laughs> you know, sometimes we depict them as these super holy, righteous people, and God's just like dragging them through the mud, getting done his purpose. And so she, she p- plays her trump card, and Abraham, the great-grandfather of Judah, has Isaac, and then her great-great-grandfather. So there's Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Judah, okay? Abraham deceptively fooled Pharaoh about his wife because he did not trust in God's plan. God told him, like, hey, you're going to be a blessing to the nations. Like, I'm going to bring something from your line that's going to bless the nations. He's talking about Jesus Christ ultimately. But he says this, and Abraham doesn't believe. He's like, oh, God said he's going to give me this line, but I'm, uh, this family line, but I'm going into Egypt. I don't believe it anymore because Pharaoh's there. I need to lie and make my own way around it. So he deceives him. How many of us, like, we hear something from God, we, we, we see it in Scripture, but then a so-called Pharaoh or something in our life pops up and we're like, I need to take this into my own hands now. I need to take this into my own hands. The same thing Isaac, he does. And then Jacob deceives Isaac, his father, by putting on a fur coat, and he steals the blessing from his brother Esau. That's super deceptive, right? If you ever see me walking around with a fur coat, just be like, where's Nathan at? What are you guys up to? (laughs) Nathan's my brother. What do you guys, what do you got going on? He puts on the fur coat because his brother Esau is all hairy, he says, right? It says in scripture. And he puts it on so he could steal the blessing goat's fur 
And so that deception happens. Jacob then has Judah. And when Judah and his brothers, Judah's the ringleader, remember, Judah and his brothers throw Joseph into the pit. And then they say, you know what? Let's sell him. They strip Joseph of his coat, right? They dip it in blood, goat's blood, and then they send it back to their father. And then what do they have the father do? They say, can you identify whose coat this is? That can you identify this? And then here we see it in this moment, this same cycle over and over and over of deception, of not trusting God, of following your own ways. We see it. And when Judah messes up, Tamar comes out and says, can you identify it? Whose ring, cord, and staff we have here. The same deceptive acts over and over and over are seen throughout Scripture. And what this implies to us is that if we're not careful, we're going to keep repeating the same cycles that were bestowed upon us. Because I would be willing to wager that Judah just didn't learn all of this on his own, but rather was brought up in a way, it's like, I'm seeing everybody else do this. I guess this is just normal. All of us in our life were grown up in situations as much as Pastor Jim likes to depict it. I'm his son. He was not perfect. I'm still going to counseling for that one, all right? <laughs> in first service, my, my brother was in there. And my brother's just like, amen, amen. <laughs> nah, I'm just playing. But yeah, nobody is perfect, and we're all grown up in situations that are not perfect, that put unhealthy patterns, unhealthy ways of living into our life because of the fall of man, because of sin. So if we are not careful, we're going to follow in the same cycles, patterns, and, and ways of living that we were grown up in. So as Christians, as people of God, we need to first seek the Lord. First uh, seek the Lord, then let the Word of God correct us and wash over us. And then again, seek accountability. The fellowship of saints get a counselor talk to a christian counselor we need to be doing all of these things otherwise we will be like judah repeating the same patterns over and over and over till judah now sees the deception that he lived in now came back for him and the sins and the cycles that we hold on to will ultimately lead to our destruction anything that we hold on to that's contrary to the word of God and power of God will be the thing that leads us to destruction Paul says the wages of sin is death and we have to understand this and we have to know this so my friend do not repeat cycles but instead seek somebody out to be like tell me what I do wrong <laughs> do you guys like doing things wrong does anybody like doing things wrong there's a lot of things we all do wrong all the time and never ask anybody, hey, is this, like, is this normal? <laughs> you know, that's why you get into a relationship and you're just like, what is going on, dude? Why are we at each other's throats all the time? Oh, you thought you were perfect, huh? Nope. <laughs> and so, we can't be this way. We have to be humbly submitted to God. There's that stark contrast again between Joseph and Judah. And in verse 27, continuing on, it says this, When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out, one, put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. 
She had that like scarlet thread for the wrist pretty quick, huh? I don't know why that always, when things happen really quick in scripture, I'm like, like you're either on the ball or just like very lucky. Or I don't know what's going on. But anyway, it's just me. Verse 29, it says, but as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. And she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. Do any of you guys have siblings that are super competitive? Right? Anybody? Just me? We're already seeing it here in this, right? It's kind of funny. It's like, I'm not going to let you be born first. I'm coming through. <laughs> I don't think so. And so th- this is going on. And it says, therefore, his name was called Perez, because she said, what a breach you've made for yourself. And in verse 30, it says, afterward, his brother came out with the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. And so what we need to understand, going back to this idea, this contrast of Judah and Joseph, and then also like the power and the sovereignty of God, and thinking that we could be outside of the the power of God, which is not even possible, but God calls Abraham and tells Abraham in the Old Testament that through you, through your family, you will bless and you will fill the earth, okay? And what he's telling them essentially is that he, he will fill the earth with a people of God who ultimately serve God, who are submitted to God, who are in line with his ways, and who's ultimately connected to God through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ, the physical part of of God in the flesh, came through the line of Perez, who was just born, okay? Okay? Through that family line, through that family lineage. And the point being in all of this and about the will and the purpose of God is that we know in the story of Joseph even, Genesis 50, 20, it says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Essentially saying even through the act, evil, vile act of Judah and Tamar, Jesus Christ still came through that line. And that even in the midst of evil, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of very, very poor decisions, in the midst of a man who's walking opposite of God, who's fulfilling his desires, who's fulfilling his lusts, the ultimate promise of Jesus Christ came through that same man. Because that's how God's will works. No matter what's going on, God will still bring about his purpose and his plan and his authority and his sovereignty. Because Willa and Scotty, remember? One's eating. One's super happy. Having the best time. Willa's kicking and screaming, doesn't want to eat. But again, either way, she's going to eat, right? Because this is what has to happen. No matter what decisions, evil or good, submitted to the Lord or not, we're still in the power and sovereignty of God. But here's the thing. We could be in his sovereignty, kicking and screaming and being like Judah, just I want to do whatever I want, I want to do whatever I want, I want to pursue sin, I want to pursue lust. Or we could be like Joseph who's in prison, submitted to God, even in any moment, even when things are terrible, even when life seems to suck pretty bad, even when I'm in prison and falsely accused. Either way, and this is what you need to understand, if you're Christian, non-Christian, you need to understand that you cannot run from the sovereignty, the power, or the authority of God. 
because even through Judah's failing came forth God's plan. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And so maybe you're a Christian who you're like, man, you know, I'm kind of like half in, half out right now. I'm like not really submitted to the Lord, but I'll go to church sometimes. I want to I wanna pose this question. Do you know anybody who like started a business and is like, well, I'm going to start a business, but also not start a business? Or what about this one? Uh, yeah, I'm going to get married, but also not be married. Like sometimes, half in, half out. Does that make sense to anybody? And Steve, here's the thing, and you get where I'm going with this. Why do we approach our relationship with God that way? I'm going to be a Christian sometimes. But when the sheep shearing festival comes up, I'm going to be there, baby. Let's go. Coachella, I'm there the whole weekend. Whatever the country version of Coachella is, I'm there. I don't remember what it is. Stagecoach, there you go. So as Christians, this is what we have to understand. And scripturally, this is what you have to understand, myself included. That if my life isn't reflecting a life of devotion to the scriptures, the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and fellowship with my fellow believers and seeking that correction and seeking that uh, power and seeking like when we gather, man, the Lord is there with us, right? And that devotion to prayer that the New Testament believers responded in, then we have to ask ourselves, okay, am I fully in or am I half in, half out? And so today, if you're living a life more like Judah, and may, maybe you're not rushing off doing crazy things, but however, you're not submitted to the power and authority in God in every aspect of your life. What we need to do is come back to him, come back to our brothers, come back to our sisters, and come back to the Lord. Because this is, this is something that is true. If we are a Christian church who isn't fully devoted, then we are doing our communities a disservice. We are doing the people around us a disservice. I think I read a study that said like one in ten Christians in America will preach the gospel one time a year. Nine out of ten never do. Why is that? We need to come back and submit to the power and authority of God. And I would wager that many of us don't even realize how powerful the Lord is working through us. And we need to come back to that and come back to the Father and come back to a place like, man, yeah, I used to share about the Lord all the time. Paul says uh, in Romans 1.16, I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel that is the power for, uh, of God that gives salvation to those who believe. We have to be Christians who are fully in, who are fully devoted, who are preaching the gospel, who are sharing their faith, who are talking about the word, who are invested in the communities, who are ultimately giving the power of God for salvation for all those who believe. And if not, then we need to get, our, we need to get ourselves right. And I'm talking, again, to Christians. Christians who hold the Bible as the authoritative word of God. If you could find something different, please tell me, because it's not an easy life, right? I don't want it. I'm not perfect at it by any means. I understand it. And so uh, for, if that's you, it's time to come back. It's time to be fully in. If you're on the other side, maybe you're like Joseph more so, where, man, it's just tumble after tumble after tumble after tumble. It seems like life is just going nowhere. It's going downhill over and over and over and over and over. And you're seeking the Lord and you're in fellowship and you're thinking, God, what is going on? 
Why cannot things just pick up? Judah's name in scripture, in Hebrew, it means praise. Judah means praise. That's very ironic, right? I don't think Judah was given much praise. <laughs> he was doing his own thing. And then it says that through Perez, uh, excuse me, Judah and Tamar, Perez came forth, right? And then Perez ultimately leads to the line of Christ. Perez in Hebrew means breakthrough. So through Judah, praise, came Perez, breakthrough. And so what we need to understand in the low moments in the moments where we're just hurting, where we're in pain, where we don't see what's going on, God, I praise you. God, I praise you. God, I worship you through the struggle. I worship you through the pain. I worship you through the turmoil. I worship you in the low moments of life. God, no matter what is going on, I am going to praise you because I know that when I praise you comes breakthrough, which ultimately led to Jesus Christ who gave salvation to all of those who would believe. That is eternal. That is eternal. So Christian, non-Christian, this is the call. This is the call to come back to the Lord. This is the call to come back to the Father. And if you're a Christian, you're half in, half out. Now's the time to come back. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I'm just grateful to be here, Lord. I'm grateful to be here with these people, with uh, this church, this body of believers, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would sift through our hearts. I pray that you would just pull us closer to you, God. And in this moment, I'm just going to ask, I'm going to hurry this prayer up because I'm talking a lot. I know, guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> but in this moment, if there's any of us in this room saved or unsaved and you're like, man, I need to come back to the Lord. I'm half in, half out. If that's any of you, every head bowed, close your eyes, everything. If that's you, because I have bad eyes, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hands. I'm not going to make you uh, walk up or anything. Like, if that's you, you just need to come back to the Lord. Just lift your hand. Let me see this. I see you. Amen. 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 I see you. Amen. 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 Lord, these are the people who are coming back to you, God. These are the people, it's like, I'm not living life half in, half out anymore, God. I submit to you. I submit to you humbly. I submit to you, Lord, and your power and your authority, God. These are your people, God. So give them the tools. Give them the power, Lord. And I pray that they would get in fellowship and be invested and ingrained in this church even more. And if they're not, to get invested, Lord. I pray for these people, God, these people of God, that they'd walk in your power, presence, and spirit, Lord. We thank you for these moments that we have, God. In, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco. Or email us at hello at nbcc.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.